0: If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we've been going through the greatest sermon ever preached that began in Matthew chapter 5, often called the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus began to teach a multitude on a mountainside. In this particular section of his message, He begins teaching people, but not just teaching them, he's also training them, training them to be disciples, training them how to move forward in faith with complete commitment, being totally sold out, also teaching them how to be true and lasting witnesses and how to come up at a higher level in maturity in the Lord. I think those are things we could all use today. And in these next verses, they all kind of tie together because Jesus begins to question not the actions themselves, but the motivation behind the actions, which is my subject this morning, kingdom motivations. And he begins to question the actual motivations behind the actions Because the point he's trying to make clearly is that you can do right things for the wrong reasons. It's not enough to examine what we do. We also need to be at a higher plane where we are able to examine why we do it. And he uses to illustrate this point three rather common and important demonstrations that were common in religious life back in that day. And it was giving praying, and fasting. And he uses these three to question. Oftentimes what would happen is that things would be done not just in a way to be seen by other people, but in a way to create this spirit of competition, one-upsmanship, that if you had something that was marvelous, it would draw attention, so next week somebody else would have to have something bigger and better. Practicing your faith solely so you could get God to bless you. What we need to understand is that we are faithful to him not to get him to bless us. We're faithful to him because he has blessed us. We don't want to ever be in a place where we're using the good things that we do or the right things that we do as some type of bargaining chips to come up into God's throne room and say you owe me to get him to do what we want to do. Our desire is to honor him. Our desire is to bring him glory. Our desire is also to bring other people close to him that they might have an individual relationship with the creator of the universe. So we talk about motivation. Matthew chapter 6, begin reading in verse number 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret with will himself reward you openly. I want to emphasize one particular part of that passage in verse number one, where Jesus says, do not do your charitable deeds before men that they may be seen. If that's the motivation, it's okay if people see you doing good. But if the motivation behind what we're doing is so that I can be seen, that's what Jesus is addressing. See, it's not important for other people to know how much time we give to the Lord. It's not important for other people to know how much money I give to the Lord. It's not important for other people to know how much effort I give to the Lord. And it is not important that other people know how much sacrifice I give to the Lord. It's important that God knows. And guess what? He can't not know If our motivation is the praise of men Then when you receive that praise, paid in full. How many know sometimes people don't pay up? God always does. And he always notices. We always catch God's attention. Our giving is not of ourselves. It's not to gain the attention of others. It's not to be able to manipulate situations. It's not be able to call in favors later. I speak to many other pastors, and I've been involved in many other churches over the course of my life in ministry, and I've seen situations where a couple or a family will be faithful to a church for years, and they'll be faithful in many different ways, in different work they do in the church, in giving to the church, in supporting the church in every way they possibly can. But you only see mom and dad. And all of a sudden, 20 or so years later, they come to the church and they want to have their children married in the building. And there's an issue because the children really aren't following the Lord. It becomes more of just a kind of a decoration than anything else. And the attitude can be, but I've been coming to the church for so long. I've been giving so much. And I've been grateful that I've served under pastors who've said, if you've come to this church for all that time to manipulate me, you've come to the wrong church. So since that was the teaching I've received over the course of my ministry, let me make this clear. If you've come here to manipulate me, you've come to the wrong church. We do these things because Jesus has been so good to us. We do these things because we love him so dearly. It's an expression and an outgrowth of the relationship we have with him, not to be able to call in a favor later. We're taught, do your charitable deeds, verse 4, in secret, that your father will reward you openly. Verse number five of Matthew six. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard from many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Let me make that statement again. Your Father knows the things you have need of even before you ask. Prayer is such a vital part of our relationship with Jesus. As with any relationship, if there's no communication, there's no relationship. So we need to be people who pray. We're given this amazing, unique privilege that we're able to, at any moment, at any time, enter the throne room of God and communicate with the creator of all things. What an awesome privilege. That's why it's really important we not get this wrong, and we have the proper motivation going into that place. Prayer is about communication. It's about building a relationship. It's inviting him to act in our lives and us trying to get on his page. And prayer can move the hand of God, not in a manipulative way, but by giving God the freedom to do what he wants to do in your life and in mine. And by us, basically through the process of prayer, getting out of the way and letting God have his way. Prayer is not some psychological exercise. Well, I'll pray because then it'll just calm me down. If that's all it does, then we've missed the value of prayer. It should not only calm me down, it should build me up in my faith. Prayer is not just for me to get still so I can review all the things I need to do. And as I've mentioned... Prayer is not about trying to strong-arm God. Think about that phrase for a moment. Strong-arm God. What was that Broadway musical years ago, your arms are too short to box with God? They haven't gotten any longer. It's about asking God to come into your life, to come into our problems, to come into our situations, and to have his way. The religious leaders of that day prayed very differently. They prayed to be seen. They prayed to be heard. And they were long winded. A lot of unnecessary words. That's not what prayer is about. Some people won't pray in a group of people because I don't know how to pray. Yeah, you do. It's about communicating but I've listened to other people pray and they sound so eloquent. Then those other people need to stop praying so that we can get back to what prayer is. It's about communication. Prayer is about fellowship. Prayer is not about making an impression on other people around you. Prayer should emphasize that we are servants, not entertainers. I could camp there for a while. (laughs) We are not entertainers. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to gain your respect by the words I use when I pray. And he mentions in there, you shall not be like the hypocrites. There has been, I don't know why it amazes me, but it did, so much commentary in the public square this week regarding the issue of prayer, and it has centered around praying for our chief executive. Praying for the President of the United States. People have their opinions. And you know what? You're entitled to your opinion. God's not going to say you can't have an opinion. God's not going to say you can't have a point of view. But when it comes to prayer, from what I understand, we're Christians, which means we're soldiers, which means we do what our commander tells us to do. And our commander tells us to pray for our leaders. So we're to pray for our leaders. And I guess the part of it that has annoyed me the most, and my family will tell you I don't get a whole lot annoyed at a lot of things, but it has really annoyed me the most is when I've seen Christians as they explain why they won't pray. Because I don't feel it. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I've done this before, and as often as I need to, I'm going to say it again. Your feelings have nothing to do with you being a hypocrite or not. Nothing whatsoever. Tomorrow morning, it's going to be Monday. And many of us are going to go to work. And none of us are going to feel like it. Now, if you go to work when you don't feel like it, what does that make you? It makes you employed. Because if you only went to work when you felt like it, you'd be in the other category, unemployed. This isn't rocket science. Hypocrisy has nothing to do with how you feel. It's about your intentions. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for those who need prayer. Because the Bible commands it. Just last week, we read the verse in Matthew 5, verse 44, where he says, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. So we're praying for people, not just who use you, but do it with you in mind. They do it spitefully. That's the command, but I don't feel like it, Pastor. Then demonstrate the maturity of your Christian walk in that you're able to rise above our feelings and do what God commands us to do. Now, we can't just pray anything and say we've prayed the way the Bible calls us to. We need to pray good things. Like I remember a Bible study years ago, we were going over some scriptures about this topic of doing good to those we didn't really have good feelings about. And one of the women in that Bible study said, well, I have this neighbor that I really, 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 really don't like. So I got the impression she didn't like the neighbor. And she asked me, do I have to be good and nice to this creep? And I said, yeah, and you can stop by not calling him a creep. Yes. Well... But he's just a mean, mean man. And I said, well, before Jesus, we were all kind of mean. We were all kind of not in the like column. Well, I'll just not call him bad things. Well, you shouldn't have called him bad things anyway. Well, what should I do? How about you go home and bake him an apple pie? And she looked at me. And I guess I'd had a relationship with her, so I knew her well. So I, I paused after I said, bake him an apple pie. Oh, and it must be edible. <laughs> and she looked at me and goes, how did you know what I was thinking? No, baking someone a poison apple pie is not doing good to those you hate. You see, we're to rise above this as Christians. It doesn't matter. Our feelings have a place. We need to give them voice when they need to be voiced. But when it comes to the actual way, our feelings connect with our actions. Our actions need to be directed by thus saith the Lord, not thus how I feeleth. I feel so much better now. I got that out of my system. Prayer is a privilege. And the Bible is clear. We pray for our leaders. No matter what we think of them, no matter what we know about them, no matter what we like or don't like, we pray for our leaders. And I'll say it again. No matter what anyone thinks about our current president, there is nothing that compare to the leader that Paul had when he was making these comments. And that was Caesar Augustus. Nothing any American president, nothing any world leader in our generation has ever done would match the person that Caesar Augustus was. He would be worthy of the grand title creep. He was not a nice man. And yet, in that context, Paul told the church at Rome pray for your leaders. So if he was telling that church, and they were probably looking at him kind of cross-eyed. Prayer. So no, it's not hypocrisy to pray for someone you don't care for. It's not hypocrisy to pray for someone that you consider maybe an enemy. It's Christian. It's Christian to be able to do something that the Bible says to do. Even if you don't feel like it. Matthew 6, verse number 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not do like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disguise their face, they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in a secret place, And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In Jesus' day, fasting was a very common religious or faith-oriented practice. And there were many types. More often than not, it involved food. But it could involve anything that you took time away from that was good so that you could focus on the place of prayer. Today, fasting could involve Oh, let me pick something that... Video games. Ooh. It could involve football. It could involve sports. It could involve TV. It could involve anything that we're giving up that is normal and pleasant. But not for the purpose so that we can say we're giving it up. The purpose of the fast is to take that time and devote that time and focus to prayer. To be able to realize that there are even greater things going on in our lives. There are even greater things going on in the heavenlies. There are greater things going on in spiritual places, that Paul says. And because of all the other things we have in our lives, even good things, it can be a distraction. So we put away these things, whatever they are, for a time, for a season, to allow ourselves the ability to focus. So whatever the form, but what was happening back in Jesus' day is they were putting on these masks, not like the masks we're all wearing today. But they were putting on a face that would make it clear to people they were fasting because that would gain them more respect. And he says, do it not be seen by men. In fact, he even says when you're fasting here, go out of your way to hide the fact that you're fasting. Because we're not doing this to pressure God. We're not doing this to show God that we mean business. Believe me, whether or not we do, he knows. One of the benefits of being God. He knows everything. God cannot be manipulated. Aren't you glad for that? God cannot be manipulated. We do these things to find his will. We do these things to get on his page. We do these things to draw closer to him so the way I see myself is the way he sees me. We do these things so the way I see other people is the way he sees them. Not the way I feel about them, but the way he feels about them. And church, even the people that we dislike the most, Jesus died for them. Jesus rose for them. Jesus wants them to come into a fellowship with him and have eternal life with them and you and me. God cannot be manipulated. Now there were many benefits of fasting back in those days. It was one was self-discipline, and it could release one from a habit that they had formed. Show them that they have the ability to do without, and it would also give an appreciation for the things they were fasting from. But what's our motivation? should be to draw closer to God. Verse 19 of Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, that last verse I read has to be one of the most misquoted verses I've ever heard, because I often heard it so often quoted where your heart is, there your treasure will be. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that our hearts are so flimsy and so fickle that where your treasure is, that's going to guide your heart. So, Since we're, it's not about working from the inside out. Let's also work from the outside in and establish that our treasure is in heaven. Worldly values are just corruptible. The way the world views money is just nonsense. It's salvation to too many people, and the applause of men fades. But God's kingdom is eternal. God's kingdom is forever. So why do we give? Why do we pray? Why do we fast? Why do we come to church? Why do we help other people? Why do we bake apple pies for our neighbors? Or in our context, why do you bake that tray of lasagna for your neighbor? Why do we do anything in our lives as Christians? It needs to be from a heart that wants to please him, from a heart that wants to draw closer to him, from a heart that wants to be pleasing in his sight, to honor him and to give him praise. We're going to celebrate Holy Communion today. And one of the things that the whole extended scene of Jesus' last days before the crucifixion shows us that it's okay to have feelings. Because in the garden, Jesus expressed his feelings. He said, Daddy, I don't want to do this. And then he said, but you know what? What I feel has to become subordinate and subjective to what you want from me. Your will, not my will, be done in all of our interactions, in all of the things we do as Christians, it needs to be, Father, your will, not my will. When it comes to praying for people we don't care for, your will, not my will. When it comes to helping out those in our community that we may feel or not feel whether they deserve it or not, Lord, it's your will, not my will be done. And he demonstrated such a great love to be able to sacrifice and die on a cross for people who were at the moment of greatest pain, he was saying, Father, forgive them because they're clueless. That's a Pastor Claudio paraphrase. That's not going to find that in the scriptures. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Sometimes we need the same prayer. Father, forgive them, forgive us, because sometimes we just don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're saying. Motivation. What motivates me to come every Sunday? What motivates me to get together with my brothers and sisters? What motivates us to pray? People in God's kingdom come up higher. People in God's kingdom, we rise to a level that this world can't do without the Holy Spirit. So for us today, let's come up higher. Let's pray for all of our leaders, the ones we like, the ones we don't like. Let's pray for them all. Because from all I can see, all of them need it. I don't know any leader who doesn't need to be prayed for. I don't know any leader whose life and the demonstration of their life is that, well, they're good. No. Every single one of them needs a touch from God. But we do this to honor him. Now, we've covered from chapter 6, verse number 1, to chapter 6, verse 21. But I didn't read all the verses in that chapter. I skipped one section. And the one section I skipped was the last song we sang when the Lord came to us and came to his disciples, and they were like, well, teach us how to pray. And he went, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And the church says, amen. The part of that prayer that always pauses me is where he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Nobody wants that prayer answered. Nobody wants the criteria for their sins being forgiven by God, how we forgive other people. We want God to forgive us, and when it comes for me to forgive you, I will get back to you on that. But he says, when you pray, Father, forgive me. Examine my heart, because as you're forgiving me, let me see how I'm forgiving or not other people. That's the one section I didn't cover, because I think the prayer speaks for itself. Stand with me, please.